Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. It's a pretty morning here in Santa Fe. Today is Tuesday, June 18th. It's my grandson Cohen's fourth birthday. So we'll try to video with him later today. He's up in Montana. <clears throat> later this week, it'll be my oldest grandchild's birthday. We always end up with a lot of June, July, and August birthdays in our family. guess it's the fall. We're fall procreators. <laughs> Autumn procreation. Ah, sun feels nice. I had a really lovely dream last night. I dreamed that, you know, it, it, uh, you always search for the sequence in dreams and there isn't one. So I'm not sure how it happened that, but I took a dip and the pool that we had right outside our house, which, of course, matches nothing in reality since we have desert outside of our house. But I had stopped. I was on my way somewhere else. I, was, I think I was going to go catch a plane. I was doing something very busy. And I took a dip in the pool first, as one does. And David was out there and a couple other people, friends or family, and the water was just perfect. It was buoyant and exactly the right temperature, um, refreshing but not too cold. And the sun was just radiating down on me and just filling everything with buoyant golden light. And I was lying there floating in the water. And I said, this is so beautiful. This is so wonderful. I think I'm just going to stay here a while. That's a good dream, isn't it? That's a good omen dream. I always think that water means creativity and the subconscious and the, the golden light was, um, everything about it was full of love and good omens and good feelings. So I am, I'm very hopeful for what that means. I, uh, <coughs> was working on the new shiny yesterday. I imagine it's kind of frustrating for you all. It's, it can be frustrating for writers to explain to the, the muggles in our lives, for want of a better word. Other writers get it. But writers live so far into the future, in a way, or in the past. I'm not sure which it is. Uh, by the time you guys read the book, it's already <laughs> so far in the past to us. And when we talk to like our agents and our editors and our publishers, we're always talking about the future. We're always talking about, um, you know, very seriously talking about things like, well, in the fall of 2021, we're going to, 
and uh, you know looking ahead to 2025 what are you thinking about because it takes time to write books and in traditional publishing it takes time to publish them and so there's this you know constant working up of like what I am currently involved in where my head is buried is in something that you won't see for like another year right you know like fiery citadel won't come up come out until summer of 2020 and now people are starting to read orchid throne people are sending me photos of the um, books that they've received the copies they've received from the goodreads giveaway and there's starting to be reviews popping up here and there and you know and it's funny because this is sort of like the i don't know let's call it the seventh wave maybe i could i could probably uh, write a blog post i should try to do that tomorrow because i could make it fit any number it's sort of um the seventh wave of excitement is when the book finally gets out into the world maybe the the pre-release reviews are like the sixth wave but uh I'm sorry, I'm amused by that analogy. But the first wave, the very first, is the the new shiny. It's the new shiny idea where you're first working it up. And that's something that happens um, with so little outside gaze. Even even at this point where I'm talking about it with Agent Sarah or, um, you know, like Corrine read it for me to give her input. I've asked Marcella to read it for me, but she hasn't replied to my message yet because she hates me. <laughs> Actually, I think it's, I, I pinged her on Google Hangouts. I suspect that's not the best way to reach Marcella Bernard. I know she's also laboring under a deadline and her computer crashed on her last week, so she might be still panicking. All these people paying attention to their own work and not being available to me when I need them. Anyway. That was loud, but it was a, a septic tank training, cleaning truck. Our neighborhood, everybody's on septic. There is no sewer, so the septic truck uh, is a common feature in our neighborhood. Little facts, little known facts. <laughs> oh, but now I lost my train of thought. So I was talking about, oh, Kareen reading it, and otherwise it's... um. Yeah, it is kind of like floating in that pool and being bathed with the golden light to work up the new idea. Uh, it it doesn't always go fast, but it, it feels good. It's like being very close to the original source. Totally different feeling than revising. So I'm having to switch over to it some. I'm looking at this milkweed plant and wanting to pull it out except that I read the other day that milkweed is um, the friend of the monarch butterfly and so now I feel like I'm not allowed to pull out my milkweed plants anymore anyone else heard that you know it's one I'm such a terrible scanner of headlines and links you know because I try not to click on things while I'm working so I read only the clickbait title and it was something about don't pull out your milkweed plants monarch butterflies depend on them 
monarch butterflies have gorgeous pupa. If you've ever seen the cocoon, it's um, sort of a light green with gold, almost like a sparkling gold trim to it. It looks um, filigreed. I thought I heard Isabel. Are you wanting to come out? Where are you? No, you no. I must have imagined it. And besides which, monarchs are wonderful butterflies and deserve deserve all the help they can get. <clears throat> so, so I shall let the milkweeds flourish, I suppose. Let's see what else to. Oh, oh, oh! I got my contact lenses yesterday. Yes. Yay. Thank you. Yes. I'm so happy. I'm already like taking them for granted again because I can just see and, and do my thing the way that God intended. Uh, they, um, I got a text from them yesterday morning at about 1030, right as I finished my first hour of writing. And it was just a sort of an automated text. I sent a reply, a thank you reply, just to see, and I got the, you know, this is an automated text. If you need to contact us, call our offices or whatever. So it just said your contacts are ready for pickup, and these are our hours. So I went down there, all braced for trouble, and uh, and it was the same dipshit girl who'd waited on me before and screwed things up before. And, of course, seemed as if she never seen me before in her life. I'm sure she deals with lots of people, but yeah, no, no glimmer of recognition even when I told her my name, but she promptly got up and fetched my contacts and told me that the doctor wanted to see me in one to two weeks to check the fit, which is something that they do now. I don't remember the doctors doing that before. And she said, did I want to make an appointment now and I said, no, I'd call, because <laughs> hell if I'm going back in. I think it's an insurance thing. I think that it's uh, one of those things that the doctors have figured out if they do the follow-up fitting, then they can charge more. But I know I'm not going to pay out of pocket for another appointment. I did do the math, though, in figuring that I have to pay for the contact lenses. Uh, I will go ahead and pay for vision insurance, I can get that through USAA, and it's $15 a month. So I just have to do it like a month ahead of time. So I made myself a reminder, next May, I will do the $15 and then just do my dutiful appointment in June. So that I don't get... I think it's still... It, it, I, I still came out ahead um, this time, but I really didn't like the delay, and it would be better if I have, like, a spare pair of contact lenses. I used to, you know, have the fallback pair, so it'd be nice to get on that system again. And let's see, what else do I have to tell you guys? Bathed in the pool of golden light. It was really wonderful. I want to hold on to that feeling. I've been telling more people the story about that writer's retreat thing. 
that I mentioned on yesterday's podcast about the vacation. You know, and I guess it's, uh, I was reminded in the Safwa chat room, the Slack, that it's uh, Yogg's Law that money should flow to the writer. You know, and if you choose to go on vacation, great, go on vacation. Um, if you're doing writerly things while you're there and so you can deduct it from your taxes, great. But, oh, it just uh, really sticks in my craw for people to call it a writer's retreat because that is, I think, I was thinking about this more and, and chatting with people in Slack about it. Part of it for me is because um, when I went to the artist retreat at UCross, and it's sponsored by UCross Foundation, and it was a long time ago, low these many moons ago, it was like, oh, it was the 90s, mid-90s? Oh, mid, mid-late 90s? I'm not even really sure. Something like that. Very early in my career, I did not have... Wyoming Trucks True Love and the Weather Channel had not come out yet. And that came out in 2004. So it was somewhere in that neighborhood. I can't remember if it was before 9-11. I think it kind of was. Big watermark in our lives. But UCross Foundation, and I've talked about this with other people, but that was a miraculous thing for me. You had to apply, and a panel of judges um, read your work and looked at your proposed project, and then you could pick your time. You could go for like two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, maybe eight. <coughs> and they provided you room and board for that entire time. You had to get yourself there. Although I think they offered... S- I think they did offer scholarships or offer to help you figure out money if you needed money to get there. But mostly if you got there, then they took care of everything else. And a lot of artists, writers, would basically go from, kind of like my, my mother always says, from soft spot to soft spot, uh, they would go from retreat to retreat. So they would, some of them didn't have actual lodgings. They would simply go and live at these different colonies and retreats and foundations. So UCOS Foundation was in northern Wyoming, and so I was able to drive there. And I got up there, and at the time there was no internet, and it was no cell phone service. So I remember there was a landline telephone that you could use, but you were pretty much out of contact with your regular life. And they gave you a bedroom and then a separate studio. And every evening you would go and you would have dinner that was made by a gourmet chef uh, that was for all of the residents at the time. And UCross was a cool residency because it was more than writers. It was also, when I was there, there was a composer, there was a... Uh, there were a couple of artists. Uh, one was a painter, one was a lithograph maker, a couple of other writers. But, and we would have these, I don't, I think there were like eight or ten of us, something like that. And we would sit around and have these great conversations. And there was a podium in the corner with an enormous dictionary 
that was indicative of the kinds of conversations that went on there. <coughs> and uh, because, of course, this is without internet, without smartphones, so, you know, you couldn't just Google things to resolve arguments. But we could at least look them look up words on the dictionary, which did get put to use. And people would talk about what they'd worked on that day. Breakfast was on your own, and there was all this stuff in the kitchen. You could come over and make yourself whatever you wanted. And then at lunchtime, someone, like the magic elves, would creep up silently. And they, they made a big deal about silently because they couldn't interrupt your work in any way. And they would creep up and they would leave a sack lunch outside your studio door. And it would be this amazing gourmet sack lunch, you know, like with a brie sandwich or something incredible like that. And, you know, of course, when you're a writer, you're t trying to think up, especially early in my career like that, where I was trying to figure out how to be a writer. You know, you're listening because you're kind of, desperately hoping for the break of lunch and so you're listening and listening and they still managed to make it there without uh, making any sound at all they were really good at it but you know it was an amazing experience not just because they paid for it which you know I couldn't at that point in my life I couldn't have spent paid to spend two weeks at this gorgeous ranch in northern Wyoming and you know had that kind of food and, and so forth that was beautiful vistas <clears throat> but it was also that they treated me as valuable and treated what I was doing as valuable. That was extraordinary. And it's for that reason that I highly, highly recommend aspiring writers to apply for stuff like that because it was indescribable. It was the first time in my entire life that people introduced me as a writer. You know, when I arrived, uh, the gal who was sort of like the processing host, you know, and was sort of treated you, you know, as if she were the hostess of a B&B &B and you were her favorite guest. And she took me around and introduced me to people. And she said, this is Jeffy Kennedy. She's a writer. That had never happened to me before in my life. Because you know how it is when you're starting out, um, you're hesitant to even tell people. If you're like, well, I'm trying to write a book, and they're like, oh yeah, I want to write a book too, or oh yeah, yeah, you know, it's um, and then they ask you, is it published yet? You know, and you're like, no, I'm still trying to figure out how to write the first page, um, <clears throat> you know. So always, I had been defined by my day job or you know what I was in school for. And here I was trying to do this thing that felt very fragile and tenuous and new. And so to be introduced as Jeffy Kennedy, she's a writer, was, it was earth-shaking, was, you know, the golden sun coming out. And all that time that I was there, they treated what I was doing as if that was the most important thing in the world. It was so important that the person bringing me lunch had to go to tremendous lengths to make sure not to disturb me in any way. So I think that's part of it for me, that that's, um, that is the value of a writing retreat. I think more than anything else, it's partly the you know, having the space and the quiet and having someone, you know, support you and pay for you to do things. But it's it's also that that they're investing money in you doing this thing. 
you know that and the, and and their effort and they always acted so delighted that you were there and doing this and so you know don't don't pay to go to things i mean unless you unless you want the vacation and then just take the vacation i think you'd probably be better off i mean i i'm sure it's fun and convivial and all of that but you know if you want to go to greece and write look up a vrbo and just go by yourself and be quiet <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of writing done otherwise i think maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong and i'm and i'm going to let this go so i'm going to go get to work uh probably no podcast on thursday because we're going to go fishing unless i record one in the car i always think i'll i will and then i don't so Hope you all have a wonderful day and a wonderful few days after this, and I will talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye.